Welcome back to the show where we celebrate and interrogate creatives of all stripes. And today is no exception. We have Jorge R. Gutierrez on the show today. And um, he's a director, a writer, a painter, um, a character designer, an animator, just about everything you can think of rolled up into a single package. And he partners really closely with his wife. Sandra Akiwa. Jorge wrote and directed The Book of Life as well as um, developed El Tigre, The Adventures of Manny Rivera alongside his wife. They have created a style of storytelling that is heavily influenced by their Mexican heritage and they don't really fit into anybody's cookie cutter mold so they've ended up pitching their own shows and developing their own shows and the style is visually incredible. I seriously want to line my walls with Jorge's art and I'm super, super excited to share his story with you today. We cover everything from virtual reality and where that medium is headed as Jorge is really immersed in that medium currently to how he avoids burnout and he gets incredibly honest and <laughs> I find that very refreshing. We also talk about how he got into art school and um, his views on talent versus work ethic and how he's managed to really improve his own art using good old fashioned hard work. All right, now I want you guys to go ahead and enjoy this conversation so I'm gonna get out of the way. So without further ado, here is Jorge R. Gutierrez. Jorge, thank you so much for uh, jumping on the call with me today. I know sometimes it's a little weird to talk to a stranger for an hour, but um, I enjoy these discussions so much, and I'm such a fan of your work. Um, so I think we're, we're actually just going to go ahead and start at the very beginning, because I'm really fascinated by your backstory. Also, I think that you probably have a lot to say about current events and probably things that you unique struggles you're facing um, with the uh, very divisive nature of some issues recently. So I'm super excited to hear it from your perspective. But if you don't mind, uh, can we kind of start at the very beginning of uh, Little Jorge and, and, and your journey from then to now? Okay, so here's, here's, well, first of all, Hannah, thank you so much for inviting me. I of course. I'm honored, and any, any friend of Jinko is a friend of mine. Uh, <laughs> So uh, it, it all started in Mexico City. I'm originally from, from Mexico City, you know, kind of a crazy place. Yeah. Uh, when I was a kid, I moved to Tijuana, which is in the border between the U.S. and Mexico. Uh, I was nine years old. And that, for me, I feel like that's where it started as a creative person. Wow. That saw the wave of Mexican culture hitting mm. the U.S. and the U.S. hitting Mexico back and this sort of lovely dance of violence that emerged oh my. between the two 
think every kid in the border gets to see both sides. Wow. And, what, uh, was your, what was your feeling about that? Like, I'm sure that was super confusing as a nine-year-old. Well, you know, when I lived in Mexico City, American things and Americans, they were like Martians. They were from another planet, right? <laughs> and I got to see it on movies and I got to see it on TV. And so I only knew that version of the world. Mm. So to me, all Americans were gorgeous and beautiful and either had superpowers <laughs> or were evil villains. Like, it was the Hollywood version of, of all these people. Uh, and so when I moved to the border and, and I started basically meeting and interacting with people from the U.S., I realized, whoa, they're just like us. There's oh, regular people. They're normal. What? Yeah, they're, they're normal. <laughs> and, and, and look, they a lot of them look like me. And a lot of them don't look like what I see in movies and television shows. Uh, and so for the first it. time, I realized, wait a second, I'm Mexican. You don't know you're from a country until you leave the country. That's a good point. Uh, and so I did not grow up a minority, so I didn't grow up mm. with that feeling. Sure. But I did grow up seeing what happens when you're not represented and seeing what happens when if you look around and everybody that looks like you is doing types of jobs that basically yes. tell you you're only good as a, you know, a waiter or something, uh, you know, picking up strawberries sure. and chills. Like sure. psychologically, if you start seeing that all the time, you think, well, that's that's what I was meant to do. Absolutely. And if you don't see any uh, successful artists or successful people doing certain things in your head as a kid, I just didn't imagine. I was like, I, I can't be a cartoonist. There's no hmm. cartoonist. And then as, as I grew up, I started seeing it kind of inspired me, uh, and there was a lot of people that I started looking up to, and I started sort of studying, and that was one of the big things I did. I would say, okay, so I want to be like that guy. How did that guy get started? Where did he go to school? Where did he grow up? And so I would try to figure out, this is back before the internet, so you had to go to the library, and you had to read, and you had to look up all this info. Uh, and so I studied a lot of my favorite cartoonists and animators and directors, and I kind of figured out, oh, there's a school in L.A. called California Institute of the Arts, Cal Arts. <laughs> yes. And so I said, if I want to make cartoons, that's probably the probably way to go. <laughs> and so my father, who's, a, who's an architect, uh, said, well, if you can get into the hardest school for what you want to do in the world, then maybe I'll think about maybe letting you study that. Wow. And I so think, I, just to pause there, sorry for a second, not to cut you off. I think it's so cool that you that you just it's such common sense. So many people get stuck. They, they think, I want to do this, but I have no idea how to get from here to there. I think it's so cool that you just had so much common sense. Like, well, let me just find somebody who's done this and, and look at the path that brought them there. I think that's amazing. And it's just like pure common sense. But so many people, we don't think to do that. So yeah, <laughs> I just want I mean, to say that's a great, great point. And to me, it was all, every single one of my heroes at some point was a dumb kid like me. And <laughs> they made it to the thing. It wasn't like they were born and they were starting to make movies or making amazing cartoons. Yes. So that that was sort of my logic. It was, how did they do it? So I tried to learn from that. Uh, it was, After crazy events, I finally got into CalArts really young. Uh, mm -hmm. And I got in by showing basically the things that I loved about Mexico. Uh, the awesome. teacher at the school was a, a guy named Jules Engel, who was Hungarian, and he was a, a, a very uh, 
He had survived the Holocaust, kind of oh, a tough wow. guy. Uh, and so I brought two portfolios, a portfolio with what I thought you, you needed to get into a school like that. Again, as a foreigner, I thought, well, Americans want to see American things. And so I drew sure. Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse and, oh, wow. and girls in bikinis because that's what I thought. <laughs> that's what yeah, I'm, it makes sense, right? And this is if, you know, eventually I'll use that to get in and then I can do my own stuff. That was my logic. Hey, uh, it makes sense. It totally, and again, I was a very practical kid, very pragmatic. <laughs> and I had another portfolio where I had all the stuff I love about Mexico, which was Mexican wrestling, Day of the Dead, oh, yeah. but I was somewhat scared to show it to them because mm -hmm. I figured if I show them this, they'll never let me in. And they're going to know I want to sure. do that type of stuff. And that's not the type of stuff that anybody makes over there. Yeah. So, I, so literally, I was like, I'll smuggle in uh, <laughs> what I want to do eventually. <laughs> uh, and so I had these two portfolios, one for cartoons and animation. And then all the Mexican stuff was my painting portfolio. Mm -hmm. And this is how naive I was. I said, if I can get into film school, I'll go to art school. That, <laughs> that'll be, that'll be, if I'm, I can starve in many different ways. So, uh, Jules Engels saw my stuff, my, my, my animation cartoon stuff, and just destroyed, tore me a new one. Oh. I've never heard so many uh, oh. uh, descriptions of poop in my life. Oh, it was like, uh, it was like, oh. what is this? So dog, like my review ended with like, why do you poop in my eyes with your, <laughs> with your stuff? And I was, uh, I was 17. Wow. And, oh, that was, that had to have been devastating. You know, at the time, oh. I don't think he knew, but oh, he, yeah. gave a, 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 he gave me a soul tattoo. Like mm. the words he said to me were branded forever. And this is what he, the words he used were, you, he's like, the, what you showed me, didn't come from an artist. This is a copy machine. Mm. You, and he looked me straight in the eye when he said it, you are not an artist. <gasps> I was 17. And I was like, what? <laughs> I can't breathe. <laughs> he said, you have no voice. You're saying nothing. You should really consider doing something else because this is not for you. Wow. I closed my portfolio, devastated, and I walked away. And the universe at that point took mercy on me, and I had. So I have a question about that. Sorry, was he was he looking at your American yeah. art, or was he was he also looking at your more no, Mexican he, art? Just the American stuff. Just the American, okay. just the American stuff, and and basically things I thought he. Sure. No, totally. See? I was just curious if he was also looking at like what you were no, really, no, 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 really no. passionate about. <laughs> the story has a happy ending. Okay, so good. as I'm walking away, <laughs> the universe took pity on me at that point. And <laughs> I forgot my painting portfolio. So Jules opens the portfolio, sees all the Mexican stuff, and his eyes lit up. And he oh. yelled at me like, hey, sad guy, come back. <laughs> and so I came back and he said, you was on a beach. Why you no show me this first? <laughs> and then he, he he kept asking me about each piece, and and I told him a story about each one, and he said, "That's your voice. That's who you are. Uh, this is what you really want to do. Why did you pretend with that other stuff?" And I told him because I thought that's. A, and he's like, "You stop my boy. You do this. <laughs> like, listen to your heart. If this uh, is what you want to do." I'm going to let you in the school. I've never seen 
any of this crazy Mexican stuff mm. on a cartoon, on a movie, or on a TV show. So if you can put that in the screen, you'll be doing something that hasn't been done. So, so cool. welcome to CalArts. And uh, <laughs> you ever you just, just did a yeah. 180 emotionally. <laughs> yeah, I went from <laughs> devastated to pee my pants for happiness. <laughs> oh man, that's so awesome. Um, how was how how was your journey at CalArts? Was it everything you thought it would be? Did it did it really prepare you for the real world, or um, did you feel like you needed more training after after the fact? Well, it was one of those weird things where everybody who has ever been a good artist in their school, and you're like, I'm the best guy in my class, or I'm the best guy in my school. Every single one of those guys is now in that environment, <laughs> and so. <laughs> I quickly realized, holy moly, I'm the worst artist in the whole school. <laughs> For the first time in my life, I am the worst. And so uh, one of the things, again, being a, a pragmatist, I started to study. And I said, mm. I can't control the amount of talent I'm born with, mm. right? We can't control that. But I can control something else. And that is my time. Mm. And so what I learned was, and I went in 1994. So this is, again, pre-internet. I had no idea how people do it now with Facebook and, and Twitter and all the distractions. I realized artists are incredibly easily distracted. Hmm. And they are amazing at giving excuses for not doing stuff. <laughs> and they get lost in research. They get sort of uh, lost in theory. Hmm. And so I said, that's it. That's, that's my end. Uh, the only way I can compete with all these badasses is if uh, I outwork them. Ooh. And so anytime I, we would get an assignment, I would do 10 and then pick wow. the best and turn those in. Wow. And I would go to classes and I go, okay, everybody's doing three things. I'm going to do 20. And the secret was the more you do stuff, the better you get. Like no one gets worse. <laughs> thankfully. So, <laughs> thankfully. Uh, Actually, some people get worse later in their career. <laughs> no one gets worse by working really hard. So I became obsessed with, uh, I read this book by Robert Rodriguez, and he had this, uh, this, this advice he gave, which was every film student has 10 horrible student shorts in them. Hmm. The faster they come out, <laughs> the better, and the faster you get to the good stuff. Yes. So I, well, I probably have 100 bad ones. So... Let's get them all out. <laughs> I did a ton of stuff just to learn. And it wasn't about, I learned this early on. It wasn't about the finished thing. It was, it was about process and it was about getting better. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I finished a short. Is it awesome? No, but I learned this and this and this. I'm moving on to the next one. And so I took them as stepping stones as opposed to, this is what will define me for the rest of my life. <laughs> Which I I saw in film school really screw people over when they when they just put too much pressure on the thing and they just assume, you know, we're not one piece. Yeah, it's not like you do one thing and that's it. (laughs) That will define forever. And so I was early uh, an early thing I learned in school: uh, separate process from from the finished thing, Mm -hmm. and then working for me working hard was the thing that I I kind of. That was like the way I could compete with the competition because it was so intense. Um, 
I did mostly, obviously, things exploring my culture, which hurt me long term uh, because a lot of teachers in school, I had two types of teachers who would say, you keep doing all this Mexican stuff, uh, no one's going to hire you. Hmm. And then the other side of the teachers were, you keep doing all this Mexican stuff, and you're not going to have enough of a range to be able to do other things so they can hire you. Oh, wow. <laughs> the, the advice <laughs> I was given was, no one will hire you. And <laughs> oh, they were right. They were oh. right. Uh, animation studios would come visit CalArts. You know, they pick students and they do all these portfolio reviews. And I would get called in and get really excited. And then they would look at my portfolio and say, we love your stuff, but... Is there like another portfolio where it's not Mexican? <laughs> it's oh, no. awesome. Uh And so one of the things, you know, as I started looking for work, I would I would be told, if Scooby Doo goes to Mexico, we're gonna give you a call. You know, if if if, if that if any of our characters oh. ever go south of the border, you'll be the first guy we call. Oh man! I even had someone in Nickelodeon tell me, if the Rugrats go to Rio. You're gonna get a call. I was like, real? That's Brazil. So a producer that I will thank eternally, uh, named Mary Huber, took me aside and said, I'm not gonna hire you, but I'm gonna give you advice. You are not gonna get a job with this stuff because no one is doing this type of stuff. Yep, you're right. So the only person that can hire you do this type of stuff is you i was like what <laughs> goes, yeah pitch your own movies pitch your own tv shows because no one else is making this type of movies and these type of tv shows and so they're not gonna have to be looking for someone like you you have to be the guy wow pushing that stuff and so that's what we did we uh wow. we we started i you know started with an internet cartoon because that was the other thing i learned Everybody starts somewhere, and everybody starts with something small, and they slowly start building. And so for me, it, it was a little internet cartoon that my wife and I did for Sony. Thanks to that, we got a, a pilot at Disney, and then thanks to that pilot, we got another pilot uh, at Warner Brothers. Um, thanks to that, we did El Tigre at Nickelodeon, which was a little yeah, yeah. that eventually became a, a series. Yeah. You know, to win seven Emmys, and it was a huge critical success. The ratings not so good. And then, oh, thanks to that, Book of Life happened. Hmm. I always say, I, when I trace it all back, it was somehow I got it into film school, hmm. and I worked my ass off, and I did the worst student shorts anyone's ever seen. <laughs> did a, my final short, which was the one that I'm really proud of. Uh, that one, I worked my ass off on that one. That was my master's degree. I, did, uh, I spent three years working on it. Uh, it did really good. It won a student Emmy. Uh, I got to go to the Cannes Film Festival. Thanks to that, I got my job at Sony doing an internet cartoon. And thanks to that internet cartoon, we got El Tigre. And thanks to El Tigre, we got Book of Life. So if you trace it all back, it started with... It started small, yeah. started with a student short. That's amazing. And Book of Life is based on my student short. That is so amazing. So what does your wife do in the process? Is she also an artist and you guys yes. just kind of work together? Uh, my wife, we met as teenagers at a, at a punk rock concert in Tijuana, and when I saw her, I proposed two weeks later. Oh, that's that's amazing. She, she said no because she's smart. <laughs> I and love it though. 
and this is how badass Sandra is. When I got accepted into CalArts, you know, we were seven, I was 17 when it happened. I was in love, like a, like a teenager, and I said, you know what, I'm not gonna go to CalArts because I want to be with you. <laughs> and she thought about it and she said, if you don't go to CalArts, I'm gonna break up with you. <laughs> Good for her, that's amazing. Yeah. I was like, I'm gonna marry this girl. <laughs> I'm gonna marry this woman. Oh, that's so she studied. She studied graphic design uh, in in Tijuana, and so I would just go visit her every two weeks, and then we started working together. So as soon as I graduated, I mean, she did the voice of the main character on my stupid short, and then on our show uh, at Sony, she from that point forward, she designs all the girls, and I design all the guys, and then she she does voices, and you know, Kiga we created together. In Book of Life, she designed all the female characters. Mm. It's one of the voices. So it's basically what we did as students. We keep doing it now. That's super cool. You hear a lot of uh, married couples who are creatives. They try to keep their work very separate because they feel like it's going to create tension and, and disagreements. But I think it's super cool when couples can work together and have found kind of a happy flow and you just know what I know what I'm good at. You know what you're good at. Let's just make something together. My husband and I worked a um, side by side in a job, and we were married at the time. And a lot of people were like, oh, "That's a bad idea," but it worked. <laughs> so I think it's great yeah. when it can. It can work. <laughs> I mean, we know we know tons of couples on on El Tigre. There was eight couples. Wow. Uh, life, there was twelve couples. So I think it's a myth that creatives yes. can't work uh, yes. together. The, the I don't know, obviously every couple is different. For yeah. us, our secret was we don't step on each other. So what I mean by that is, Sandra designs the girls, I don't design girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I do monsters, she doesn't like doing monsters. So basically, whatever she hates to do, and I love to do, we don't, we don't, we don't step on each other. That's great. That way, it's That's always, great. it's always. It's common a, sense, but a yeah. lot of people don't use it. <laughs> And if there's anything she wants to do and I want to do, we literally flip a point. There we go. That's Let's fake the side. <laughs> All right. That's brilliant. I love that. Do you guys have any kids? We have one seven-year-old. Okay. Well, that's and fun. So that's we're, a fun age. We're slowly trying to get him into uh, into the business. <laughs> All right. You're going to be a colorist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, the way I explained it to, to everybody is we're, we're circus people, right? So we'll go wherever the... Circus takes us. That's amazing. Luca's not, our son is not going to, we're probably not going to live anywhere for a long time because we're always going to be moving from project to project. And awesome. so, I, you know, I come from a family where one side was military. And so that's yeah. a normal thing to us. Yes. I hear you there. Uh, my dad was a traveling preacher. And so we moved every, every week, actually, <laughs> from one church to another church. And it was we rarely stayed in one place, so I, I get it. It's it's a unique get, lifestyle. Yeah, and you and you know, obviously you don't have certain things, but you get to experience something else, which is you get to reinvent yourself every time you move That's and true. you get to sort of reboot your life every time, which I Absolutely. love. No, it's fun. It's interesting and it it pr- certainly provides a, a robust life, lots of fodder for creativity. <laughs> I think it, I think honestly the you know, the biggest enemy of creativity is uh, getting comfortable. And it's so true. this is the way to do it. Right there, mic drop. 
fabulous. Um, I think you are, if, if I am uh, reading the news and social media correctly, um, involved in a VR project with Google currently, and, and that may be under wraps and, and top secret at the moment. But um, I would love to talk a little bit about your thoughts of VR. So I work in the VR world. Um, that's that's uh, what I do uh, with my team here at Gravity Jack. And it's, it's definitely unique. And a lot of people are afraid of it because it's new and it's difficult. You can't force the viewer to look in a certain spot like you can with traditional media. Um, I would love to hear your thoughts just on the whole medium and, and, your, and kind of how you're approaching it. Absolutely. Uh, so VR, I was not a believer. Hmm. Uh, yeah. When it first came out, I, I was super skeptical. Yeah. Uh, just as I was very skeptical about movies and 3D. Um, and the thing that felt for me, uh, the, the hardest thing was, okay, so right now it's a gimmick. Once we get yes. past the gimmick, yes. then that's when it will be decided if this medium is here for good. It's going to have a life, yeah. Yes, or <laughs> if it's going to go away. And the problem was these things are so expensive that, uh, you know, the first wave of VR was either for, uh, PR or testing, but it wasn't really about storytelling and it wasn't really about the stuff that I was into, uh, which is I like making people cry. Like that's my favorite thing yes. in the world. If you can make <laughs> someone laugh and cry, I think, I think that's the best. my job is done here. <laughs> yeah. Like if, a, if an album or a movie or you know, a TV show, if anything can make me laugh and cry, mm. to me, that's the, that's the, that, you know, that's the good stuff. Yes. Uh, and so uh, I was not a believer. I started seeing different things. I wasn't sure what to make of it. As an animator, we're all control freaks. So we, you know, we, we get to be in a weird way. We get to be sort of the, the almighty uh, controllers of every frame, right? Mm. Framing, movement, color. And so to <laughs> tell an animator, Hey, you're giving up framing and timing. It was it was sacrilegious. Oh, so man. I was completely not a believer. Uh, and then I saw what uh, Google Spotlight Stories was oh, doing. Oh yes. <laughs> and they had the word stories in their title, mm -hmm. and I was. Like, and then when I saw who was behind the scenes, uh, John Pinkova, uh, who's one of the. You know, when I was in film school, Jerry's game was was my thing. I was like obsessed with that short, and I started seeing who all the people behind that were, and then I started seeing Glenn Keane did the first one, and all these awesome directors started doing things. Uh, you know, Shannon Tindall, and uh, yeah, and saw Pearl. Pearl was the the one that uh, made me cry. Yeah, yeah, that was so good. And so when I saw Pearl and I cried. I said, I want to do one of these. I want to make people cry. <laughs> so, cry, take the headset off for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Put it back on. I did two things when I saw Pearl. I told Patrick, I, I wiped my eyes. And then number two said, can I watch it again? <laughs> Which is to me the, be the best compliment anyone can, can give a short. And so uh, we started talking with, with, with the team. Uh, Karen uh, Dufalo, I always mispronounce her last name, uh, and I started exchanging uh, emails, and then she she told me the hardest thing you can tell a creative person: pitches whatever you want. Oh. No, there's no limitations. It could be anything, Oof. anything. 
which is horrible, as you know. <laughs> Too many choices. <laughs> Too many choices. And I talked to other uh, directors who had done stuff over there, and they kind of told me the same thing. They're like, "You gotta, you gotta just look inside and and try to find something." Mm-hmm. And so uh, I I love Mexican wrestling. I'm a big uh, I'm a big fan of Mexican wrestling. Yes. And one of my dreams as a kid was to be a wrestler, and that ain't happening. So <laughs> I figured <laughs> there's something about VR, and there's something about the physical experience mm-hmm. putting the goggles on mm-hmm. that correlates with putting a mask on for Mexican wrestling. That's brilliant. Right? You are you are you put something on oh, and put someone else. That and is so horrible. that was my in. And then I wanted to make the, the show about personal things. And so the, 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 the short deals with, the soul of the short is what happens to you when you have a kid and, oh. you, and you start not taking risks because you, you feel like there's more responsibility. Hmm. And what happens to you as a creative person hmm. when you start sacrificing things and you start feeling it from both sides. And obviously, I saw it with my wife. I think it's it's a lot harder on moms. Uh, maybe, I don't know why. Obviously, society is, is uh, geared that way. But that 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 dilemma of being a good father and a good artist mm-hmm. for me and mm-hmm. for my wife, mm-hmm. the dilemma of being a good mother and a and a professional artist is a. It, I'm, are you you're. I'm sure you deal with this, right? It's, it's true. That, yeah, yeah. Three littles there. running around. It's the truth. Uh, now everything has to be filtered through that. Wait, is this the best choice for the kids? Yep. <laughs> yeah. And so I said, I'm going to dive in, dive into that subject matter. Uh, and so for me, Lucha Libre is, you know, Lucha Libre literally means the free fight. And so it's the fight to be free. And what do we, all artists want? To be free, right? To be able to do whatever... Uh, Whatever their heart uh, leads them to. <laughs> yeah. And so it became about that and it kind of just grew and it evolved. And then I was given all the, you can't cut, you can't move the camera, you know, all the rules of what you yeah. couldn't do uh, last year, which everybody has now thrown out the window and everybody's now cutting and moving. <laughs> Who and, cares? <laughs> because I do feel that this, that first wave of, wow, I'm wearing the goggles, that's gone. Yeah. Now it's, wow, I'm wearing the goggles. What are you going to do? Now move me. Like, I'm now, tired of the gimmicks. <laughs> yeah, emotionally move. Mm. And so that's literally where we're at right That's now. so exciting. And, I can't wait to see it. <laughs> is, there and, a time, and, is there a timeline? Do you know when? Yes. Uh, uh, it's going to be done for sure. I'm sure they'll kill me uh, for saying this, but it's going to be done by the end of the summer. Okay. Okay. <laughs> 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 we'll keep it generic. No, then I respect that totally. <laughs> and they've be been, they've been, you know, it's Google, so they are very brave about hmm. uh, try things, and if it doesn't work, that's okay. Which I've never experienced in Hollywood. <laughs> in Hollywood is take make the sure safe to the time or you're fired. <laughs> so that's I awesome. think to that way of thinking uh, took me for by surprise. I wasn't, I wasn't quite used to it. And then the other thing that has been very, very, very difficult, uh, and I'm sure you experienced this, is you can plan these things as much as you want, but until you're in there, yeah. wearing the goggles, 
you don't know. Yeah, you don't know. You don't know what's going to work and how it's going to. It's true. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there. You yeah. know, Google is has made enough of these that they have a lot of things they learn. But with that said, every single one is different, and every it's like reinventing it's true. visual language every time. And I'm watching what everyone else is doing. And I'm going, oh, they figured out how to do that. Oh, but we can't do that because we're doing it like, ah. <laughs> so it's this weird, like, my, my, my new analogy is we jumped out of the plane and we're just making a parachute as we're falling. <laughs> Quick. Yeah. No, and that's, and that's got to be frustrating, too, when you know you've got to put a lot of time and effort into something and you really don't know. You, you, this may all get cut. And because usually in animation, as, as far as I understand, you can be yeah. very intentional and test. There's, there's lots of testing and it, it's there's a lot of almost micromanagement to it in a good way that can happen. Yeah. And everything's so intentional. But yeah, VR, it's man, it's a scary place, but it's also so exciting. Well, that I was about to get to the positive. I <laughs> oh, <think. yeah. laughs> in animation, there's no surprises, right? Because everything is planned so far ahead. Like you said, it's like a lasagna. It's like layer, layer, <laughs> layer. So there's no, you know, no surprise is going to happen in layer number four. Well, in VR, you are making it and it's almost like this train is moving and you're putting the tracks and reassembling the train as it's moving. So, yes, (laughs) there's lots of surprises and there's going to be things that you're going to learn along the way that will change it for the better. Sometimes you find mistakes early on that you can fix them and adjust. But whatever we thought we were going to do, now it's completely different. And by the time we're done with it, it's going to be more different. <laughs> totally different. And that part, oh, it, to me, feels more like live action, mm-hmm. where it's really exciting because you don't know what's going to happen. Totally. And it's bringing me back to you know, school and, and being in experimental animation. And literally, experimenting was okay and failing is okay as long as, as, long as you were trying to do something and you you learn when it didn't work why and so that's the part that has me the most excited as a filmmaker and that's the part where i get giddy thinking about the possibilities of it totally that's super cool i love it no it's yeah it's again so many people are afraid of it but i think it's it's we have to take it past the gimmick stage and so it's cool to hear that folks like yourself are taking it on head on and being afraid is the best right that's the best probably means you're on to something Right. And I think we're in a, in a period now where it's new enough mm. that people can swing for the fences. Mm. Like, this is, you know, if you make, you know, if you're making an animated movie, there's these pillars everywhere, all these incredible masterpieces looming over you. Mm. In VR, it's not there yet. So <laughs> yes. we can all take these giant swings. Totally. No, that's super cool. Um, that kind of has me thinking a little bit about uh, your pitch process. So that's something that um, we've talked a little bit about on the show. Uh, Lorian McKenna was on not long ago. She, she's pitching a lot of shows currently, and everybody kind of has their own style, and some people are really chill about it, and some people are really, you know, ultra-planned. I'm curious, like, how has your pitch style evolved since you do end up pitching a lot of your own shows and stories? Um, how do you approach that process when you get an idea and you know something is worth pursuing? Well, I mean, pitching to me is like stand-up, right? Mm. I love I love stand-up comedy, and I love sort of the process that comedians go through. And much like stand-up, you 
are horrible at first. <laughs> no one is good at pitching yes. in the beginning. And the more you pitch, surprise, surprise, the better you get at it. <laughs> That's it. There's no secrets. And so I was a yes. terrible pitcher uh, when I first started. But, you know, I've been pitching since the year 2000. 17 years I've been pitching. And I've gotten a thousand no's. But early on, mm. what I did was I would ask the person I pitched to when they said no, what could I have done better? Mm. And I would ask them. And you'd be surprised. Most of the people getting pitches, especially if there's still time in their schedule, they will tell you because they're used to hearing awful pitches all the time. <laughs> they're like, you know what would really help is if you do this and this. But what they're really saying is, you know what would make my life less miserable? <laughs> These uh, moments, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and do more of that. And basically what I learned, and TV and movies are different, but what I learned yeah. pitching shows was we're not buying the idea for the mm. show. We're buying you. Mm. The idea means wow. nothing without, without the person behind it. Mm. So how does this idea relate to you where did it come from it can't just be i saw something cool and here's my take on that something cool mm. at least for me yeah yeah that's not enough so, to sustain it <laughs> right i mean there's shows where you know hey we're rebooting ninja turtles what's your take on ninja turtles true and even there i would say well what's the internal thing mm. like i had cousins growing up i was a little one like i would i would I try to connect it somehow to who I am as a person and what my life experiences are and try to bring stuff from there. So that was the other thing uh, that I, Sandra and I sort of figured out early on was we loved movies and TV shows and we loved films and albums that are the first one, hmm. right? The first movie or the first uh, album and why? Why are those usually, if not the best, sort of the most memorable ones? Sure. Well, those talk about the struggle to get there. And those talk about their worlds, mm. right? So for us, it became, we have to make everything about things that happen to us. So my first internet cartoon that we pitched was about a, a little baby who gets dropped off in an orphanage wearing a wrestling mask. And no one will adopt him because he won't take it off. And so he grows up to become this big wrestler, and he fights for the orphanage. So oh, how? Goodness. So how <laughs> does that relate to? Okay, so I came to the U.S. as a baby, right, as a dumb kid, and I was wearing my culture mm. wrestling mask, mm. and I refused to take it off. Mm. No one would hire me, and so I grew up to protect creators like me who look like me to mm. do type of things. Oh, so that's, that's basically, so, that's amazing. <laughs> so connecting my experience to mm. the show, uh, El Tigre, what is El Tigre about? It's about a, a kid whose dad is a superhero and grandpa is a supervillain. Mm. Uh, and he has to decide what he, what he's going to do. Well, my dad's an architect and my grandfather was a general in the Mexican army. And I idolized both of them. Wow. And I yeah. visit my dad, and he could draw. So I thought he had superpowers. That's awesome. <laughs> I, would go, I would go visit my grandfather, and because he was in the Mexican mm -hmm. military, there were guns everywhere in his office. 
he, he was always either yelling at someone on the phone or or talking to a you know a lady who wasn't my grandma on the phone. So oh I boy. Thought, my grandfather is a supervillain. <laughs> and so my aunt as a kid would grab me and say, you know, Jorjito, when you grow up, are you gonna be like your dad or are you gonna be like your grandpa? So that's where El Tigre came from. Wow, that's amazing. That <laughs> Makes it so much more meaningful. Sold. <laughs> that's probably so, the, yes. So that's what I found out in pitches. If I came in and I and I told them the story of mm. what inspired the thing, the thing became important, but it literally was the afterthought mm. to the core. And and so what we learned was the heart and where it evolves from is way more important than the product and what the finished thing is. makes perfect sense that's amazing and, and then you make people connections and you go well i relate to that because my father blah, 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 and my mom did blah, blah, blah. and that's where it all starts jamming together and so when we pitch that's what we do hmm. we start with hey i'm gonna pitch you you know right now i'm doing a kung fu space western and so i go here's you know here's a movie that's a kung fu space western but let me bring it all back how did this start? And then mm. I talk about what happened in the border and what's going on between Mexico and the U.S. and this fight that's happening. But how kung fu is not really about fighting; it's about balance, and mm. it's about so the cultures. So I get into all the stuff around it, and then I'll give you the plot and who the characters are. But I always start with mm. here's what it's really about, and I think that's our job as artists and creatives to say, share with the people like here's. Here's where the plant got the water and the dirt and the sunlight. Yes, like, yeah. here's, here's the seed. Hmm. That's so cool. And wow, <laughs> that's really amazing. And I think, I think a lot of times when artists are starting out, they do focus too much on the product rather than the process and where it's coming from. Yeah. And I've often thought about creative fatigue and how if there's not that strong emotional connection and you're not in a sense getting therapy from what you're creating you're it's gonna it's gonna die and the product isn't gonna be great and you're just gonna lose interest and so i think that initial spark is so so important that's really cool um along those lines we were kind of talking a little bit about um border relations yes (laughs) i'm curious you know just as as a person and as someone who has grown up really in both cultures with lots of exposure to both cultures but with a strong tie you know to your mexican roots naturally um i'm curious what you know if you want to talk a little bit about maybe what you're going through today because it just seems like everything's heating up like never before and it's ridiculous and um i just would love to open the floor <laughs> to any thoughts you have or, or stories that maybe you know <laughs> things that have recently because again there are a lot of us who you know maybe have a different ethnicity we have don't have to live what you're living through right now in a sense we do but we don't understand the lens of others and i think it's so important for us to listen if that makes sense Absolutely. Well, I, I'll, I'll give you some stories that I think will uh, illuminate my, my experience. So it all, for me, it all started as a kid. The first time I came to the U.S. and started going to school in the U.S., uh, I, was, I was 10 years old, so I would cross the border every morning. What a lot of uh, middle-class families in Tijuana do is they send their kids to go to school in the U.S. Mm. So imagine every morning waiting an hour and a half on the border and getting searched by 
border patrol people, and, you know, officers poking your yeah. belly, saying, did you eat any, oh. any uh, drugs to smuggle over? And I had no idea what any of that stuff was. I didn't know what a condom was. Yeah, you're like, what? An officer saying, did you swallow any condoms? And I was like, what? Like, what? No, <laughs> I, I didn't know. Like, like, in my head, I, I just didn't understand. I was sure. like, why would anyone do that? So anyways, uh, I remember a, a very nice nun, because, you know, we couldn't go to public schools. We had to go to uh, Catholic schools or, or, or private Catholic schools. Uh, I remember a nun who was very nice and very, very polite, and I'm sure was doing her job. Uh, asked me, what's your name, little boy? Mm. I, I could barely speak English. And I said, Jorge. And she smiled and she said, no, that's not your name. Oh. You're in America. Your name is George. Oh, dear. So from that point forward, I was George until my end of oh, high school. Oh, my goodness. And that was the first time that I felt like Oh, when I go over there, I have to be someone else mm-hmm. in order to be accepted. And I saw it again because I'm a kid. I saw it as that's what we have to do. Mm-hmm. We have yeah, to, sure. I'm George, and then when I come home to my parents, I'll be Jorge. Uh, and so the that moment happened again when I first got into Cal Arts, and you know, registration ladies like, "What's your name?" And that story came back to me, and I'm sure I kind of freaked her out. And I said, my my name is Jorge. And she was like, all right, like don't get excited. <laughs> but that was the moment. Okay. At that point, I was 18, and I kind of regained myself. Mm. Right? I was like, I can be Jorge in the U.S. Mm. I don't have to be George in the U.S. And and so that duality and seeing both sides. And like I told you, I didn't grow up a minority, so whenever I would experience the racist things i was like whoa that's weird and <laughs> this doesn't make sense mexican americans would be like yeah yeah you'll get used to it it was like this weird like why would we get used to that that's horrible yeah. uh you know that, that the racist old lady in the block like that's what she does like that was the thing i constantly kept hearing like this yeah. oh, like, yeah. and like this is a normal thing and san diego is a very conservative part of southern california which is really strange to me, right next to Mexico. <laughs> so it doesn't, make any uh, sense. it doesn't make any sense. So as I kept growing and I kind of started seeing the stuff, I, I I would experience uh, this odd racism and and what we talked about early on, where if you go to a restaurant and all the busboys are the only Mexicans in the restaurant you will start going like, why aren't there regular Mexicans here? Why do we only do the surface work? And I think that's where psychologically you start thinking, I guess I guess this is what, you know, unspoken, this is what we're meant to be in this. And so I did not see a lot of, I did not have a lot of art teachers who were Hispanic. I did not have any heroes who were Hispanic. So whenever there were, you know, when, when I saw Guillermo del Toro and, and Alfonso Parón and Gonzalo I had a poster of them on my wall. Mm-hmm. Like, to me, they were like Mexican filmmakers who succeeded in Hollywood. They were my holy trinity. Like, I literally was like, if those guys can do it, maybe I can do it. And if those guys didn't exist, I would have no reference, right? I would have yeah. No, yeah. No, no, no hero. And so uh, 
times pass, things change. LA was was a you know has more Mexicans than any city aside from Mexico City. Mm-hmm. So it was like being in Mexico. This new uh, <laughs> what what should we call it? This new wave of uh, nationalism oh. comes to this country, and a year ago, I for the first time. I'm doing an art show. I'm having my first solo art show. So I'm, I'm painting like crazy. And I'm painting things that are happening in the news. So Prince dies. I paint Prince. I paint Prince. Uh, you know, Donald Trump is candidate <laughs> for the United States. At that point, no one, no one thought he would, uh, he would come. And so the night he said the famous... Uh, you know, murderers and rapists. Uh, I painted Donald Trump, right? I painted a painting of Donald Trump with swastikas in his eyes because he had literally called called me and and, and everybody I knew murderer and, and rapists. And so I put the I put like every painting I've been doing. I put it online, and for the first time, and I still have them. I started getting death threats. Uh, and that had never happened to me. Uh, and at That's some point, ridiculous. Uh, and this is, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't the president at that point. And I was getting the death threats and I was starting to get really angry, racist hate mail. Mm. Uh, and a part of me thought I should just take it down because this is, this is scary. Uh, but then I thought, no, this is political discourse. Mm. Uh, he said this, I'm reacting to what he said. Let this be a staple in time. Uh, whatever happens, yeah. that happens. And so that's what I did. And then I started posting all the hate mail uh, to try to expose the people who were sending this stuff. Uh, and they would all delete their accounts instantly. Naturally. So I was like, well, at least I made it harder for them. To- <laughs> yes. <laughs> I wasted three minutes of their lives. Uh, and so that became a thing. Uh, and now, as I keep, you know, I, I, I keep, I'm a, keep posting things socially, mm-hmm. uh, that there's that audience that is really angry at me mm-hmm. still for that painting, um, and I think to some extent that affected uh, when the Pixar movie came out, uh, Coco, the trailer for Coco, the, the Big Day Dead movie, uh, a lot of people felt probably a lot of the same people that I had ripped off Disney mm. uh, and Pixar for Book of Life. Uh, and so there was all this, first it started with Pixar fans accusing me of ripping Pixar off. And then it turned into uh, angry Donald Trump supporters uh, accusing me and telling me to go back to Mexico and to go back to my country, defending a Mexican theme. Oh goodness! <laughs> the irony of all that was not lost on me, oh, and it, it's so ridiculous that I just found it funny. But again, I would, I would. This time, I decided I'm not going to repost them. I'm just going to block them and report yeah. them to, especially if they're threats. Uh, so for the first time in my life, uh, I find myself a political artist because I spoke out against uh, with a painting against what I was seeing and hearing Uh, and it kind of changed my audience a little bit in that uh now whatever piece i do they're asking me well what is the political subtext of what you're doing (laughs) 
Well, there's not always one, but <laughs> it's not. It's not. Yeah. And, that, and that that does frustrate me. Sorry, not to cut you off. Sometimes, you know, and again, I don't, I'm an artist, but I'm not an artist professionally. I just do it for the heck of it and because I enjoy it and it's therapy sometimes, but sometimes you just make something and it doesn't mean anything. And, and there sometimes is an audience that's like, what does this mean? Or I'm concerned about you because this is a little dark, you know, and the people who want to read into everything, which sometimes there is meaning. Sometimes maybe there's meaning we don't even know we're spitting out on the page, but there's not always some hidden, you know, agenda. <laughs> well, and, and, and to that point, the way I see it was, you know, after the election, I think you had two choices. You could just, if you disagreed with who became president, you could just get angry and bitter, or you could say, okay, well, time to, time to get to work, right? Time to yeah. keep making stuff. So for me, it was, this is a call to arms creatively hmm. to try to keep making things that are positive hmm. and that are showcasing, for me, my culture in a positive way. Hmm. I'm an immigrant in a country of immigrants, and we are not going anywhere, and we are a fabric of this country, <laughs> and so we are going to, in my mind, I need to remind everyone and I need to showcase to everyone how positive that is for this, for this country. And so it just fueled me to try to make more positive things. Mm. Uh, the adult audience, I feel, and adults in general, mm. have made up their mind, right? Mm. If you are 35 years old and you're racist, odds are we're not going to convince you to not be racist. <laughs> That's true. But if you're five years old or if you're seven years old or you're 10 years old, you're still making up your mind about the world. Mm-hmm. That's true. And I work in, in entertainment and in children's entertainment, so I take that as a huge responsibility. Mm-hmm. I feel that if we keep making things that showcase other cultures and we keep making things that show how similar we are, no matter what country we're from or what faith we're from or what part of the world we're from, that's how we really help. And so that's, that's the way I'm doing it. That's awesome. That's so, so cool. Um, and I, I feel like my eyes have been opened a little more. Um, I came, of course, from a, a Caucasian family. And you don't know what you don't know. And um, I married a Pacific Islander. And so we have beautiful little little brown island babies. And, and it's been really eye-opening for me to walk through life um, with them and just see, oh, there's a difference here. Or you know, uh, people will make assumptions about um, them maybe based on their skin color as opposed to right. who they are in their character. And it's been really, really eye-opening for me. And so I, I've really been working on listening and hearing and trying to better understand and also be a voice because I'm really, really tired of, of white silence. I feel like if we're being quiet, <laughs> we're not addressing the issues that do exist and um, not being an advocate in the same way that as a female in tech or maybe in you know entertainment, um, I would hope that my male colleagues would talk about the issues alongside me, you know, and also be an advocate and, and look for ways to help as opposed to it just having to be the women. <laughs> we yeah. have to rise up and we have to fight and we have to make things happen for ourselves, which sometimes that is the case, but it's just much nicer if both sides can talk about the issues and also work towards a solution together as opposed to, you know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> but, absolutely. No. Yeah, the, the, the stuff that kills me is the, I'm not taking sides. 
I'm like, well, then you are thinking science. You are. How, as a parent, um, have you found anything particularly effective with your son? As I'm sure he's occasionally exposed to stupidity um, or hateful things. You know, how have you how have you approached that with him? Well, uh, it's been it's been complicated yeah. in that. Uh, our son has autism. He has high functioning My autism. My youngest son has autism as well, so I oh, get it. I get which, it. As you know, is very common in the creative, uh, mm. creative couple. Yep. <laughs> and so we we we're uh, obviously autism is different in every kid. Mm. So thankfully, he's a little unaware of some of that stuff. That's yeah, uh, yeah. Which has been a blessing, mm. but at the same time, the world is tough, and so we're trying to get him ready for sure. Yeah, that's that's. The is he really do have you noticed that he has any particular interest that he's really working to develop uh he loves cooking so right oh, now we're entering the is he because he watches cooking documentaries and cooking shows when he's <laughs> seven and and so we're we're getting a little excited but of course everybody's telling us like don't get too excited <laughs> like it might be a phase but, but he's really into cooking Oh, that's awesome. I love it. I do. I do hate when other parents are like, so what's your kid's superpower? <laughs> because yeah. Yeah. not every kid on the spectrum is going to have something like that. And it, it, it kind of rubs me the wrong way. I know they mean well. Um, but yeah, for our son, he was nonverbal until he was three wow. and still is catching up. We, we found some natural sort of uh, treatments that really helped him in that area. But um, certainly, yeah, he's a bit unaware socially, uh, but his, his, interest is uh, actually animation <laughs> he is so fascinated by it and tries he'll freeze frame everything so he'll find a, a maybe a short he really likes and he'll freeze frame it every time the shot changes and then he'll try to like storyboard it out and copy it he doesn't know really know what he's doing but he just certain things speak to him and he'll just watch it over and over and over and uh, it's neat because you can see him making those emotional connections that maybe before weren't there. And so it's been really, really interesting to watch who knows where it's going to go, but I totally, totally yeah. uh, get it. <laughs> and you know, I, I have to say, uh, I think half the people working in animation are on the spectrum. Yeah, that would make sense. And by the way, including me, I, <laughs> I was diagnosed three years ago. Really? Because all the stuff I saw my son do, mm. my parents were like, well, that's how you were. And so yeah. after, after seeing lots of stuff, I said, well, you know, I, I should really get tested. <laughs> uh, so I went to, you know, a psychologist and a therapist sure. and, and was diagnosed uh, three years ago. Wow. So now, as my son gets older, I get to say to him, like, I'm on the spectrum, too, so no excuses. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> a lot of those things are genetic. And I think it's great when one parent especially can really connect and know kind of how to redirect the child to better behavior because there's an understanding there. That's what I did when I was a kid. And I know, I know exactly how you're feeling. And that's really interesting and super cool. But anyways, it's a bit of a tangent um, in the hours almost up. So I just have, <laughs> I just have one final question. Sure. <laughs> um, as you, you have a really great work ethic, obviously it's something that you've really uh, instilled in yourself since an early age. I'm curious how you um, avoid burnout or is that not something that you've really ever had to struggle with because I think sometimes it's easy 
to really aim to work really hard at something and really, really push for it. Um, but I think a lot of creatives end up getting burnt out, even if there is an emotional spark and connection with the story. Is there, is there something that you've learned about yourself that you do to mix it up or keep it fresh or just set yourself up for success and avoid kind of that, the burnout side of things? Well, my answer is, is going to be a little difficult. Uh, (laughs) Did you see that movie Whiplash? Uh, Yes, I believe I have. Yes. It was about the abusive who manages to get something great out of the suit. I, I showed that movie to my father and he said, at the end, that was a good teacher. <laughs> so that should tell you a little bit about uh, how I, how I, I'm going to answer that question. Oh, so man. for me, uh, and it's a very risky thing to say, hmm. but for me is I thrive on fear. So I thrive on fear of, uh, you know, going homeless and losing everything hmm. and not being sure. able to provide for my family. Sure. And so when I look back before we had our son and I said, any success we've had has been because we've taken some huge risks mm. and we've been rich and poor, rich and poor all over the place. But we always knew that the success came from risk. Mm. Now that we have a son, I remember when Luca was born, I said, if I start making safe choices, that's kind of the worst thing I'm going to do to myself. Mm. Because that means, based on history and based on analytics, we might not hit those peaks again. Yeah. So exactly. let's let's roll the dice. Let's keep taking risks, even though we have a son. Uh, Luca was diagnosed with autism when he was three, mm-hmm. and so at that point, logic said, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! You now should absolutely take safe choices. Mm-hmm. Should not be taking the risks that you were taking before." And I had a big talk with my dad, and we both agreed and said, double down, keep mm. taking risks. Mm. No, now that the pressure is even more, mm. that you have a son, and so use that fear. Use that fear to motivate mm. you. You fear, because uh, we all have that fear. So surf the fear. Mm. It's gonna wash over you. And That's so amazing. a lot of artists use the carrot front of them to motivate them i basically yell at the monster behind us that that is a beautiful analogy oh man i love it and i think the carrot and the stick it's so it's so fleeting (laughs) it doesn't keep you going you're never gonna get it yeah but we all have that i I think it may not be the feel-good answer but i think it's a very truthful answer because we all but yeah right especially when you're a parent there's so much fear yeah. and terror <laughs> of what may happen. And I think it's easy to let that just consume you and almost hold you back. But I think it's, that's really interesting to just use it as something to propel you forward and just go like you've never gone before. That's beautiful. Thank you. Oh, I, I've never heard it put that way, so I really appreciate it. But um, I don't want to keep you any longer, but I do want to give you a chance. Um, I know you have a, a store online and a couple of uh, social channels. Where can people find you? How can they support the work you're doing? Uh, if you, I am Mexopolis, just like Metropolis, Mexopolis with an X awesome. uh, on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and then my website is super-macho.com. Uh, and you pretty much see all my student stuff all the way to the book of life. Uh, and be careful that you don't 
just spell supermacho.com because I think it's a male enhancement drug. <laughs> oh, dear. So <laughs> Keep the dash da- in there. <laughs> yeah, keep the dash in there. Uh, and then I'm pretty good about writing people back on Twitter if, if, if it's positive things. If, uh, if it's hate mail and stuff, I'm probably going to block you. Uh, <laughs> fair warning. <laughs> yeah, fair warning. Uh, and then, honestly, uh, I, I, a lot of the people that I've been lucky enough to work with, I found online. So people That's send me awesome. their portfolios all the time. I love finding... Uh, finding new talent basically because i i feel like that's how i was found and and i want to get back paying it forward that's awesome well thank you again jorge for for jumping on the show today it's been fantastic talking with you oh hannah thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you i had a blast (laughs) say goodbye to your little friend thanks for listening to amazing brain i'm not great at farewell so That'll do, pig. Check back soon for more heart pumping, brain boosting content.